The Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Moms Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front. We are there when it comes to defending our communities and our families. And I am your host, Delaine England. I am so happy to have you join us. And today, one of our guests, we do have two guests. We do have a Liberty Mom coming on, Kristen Chevrier, the chair of Your Health Freedom. But right now, we have a Liberty Dad with us, which we're very excited to have, and that his name is Brad Green. And I am very excited for you to have a chance to get to know Brad and you get to learn a little bit about him. He is running on the Libertarian ticket for CD2, and that is the district, the congressional district to re- replace Chris Stewart, who is about to step down because of some health issues, serious, serious health issues of his wife. And so, Brad, welcome. We're so happy to have you with us. Hey, Delane, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I you long history and um, I'm really looking forward to this. I thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm very glad to have you on. We have a long history. Yes, we've been friends for a really long time. And um, I would never say this out loud for anybody else, especially when I'm going to do an interview, but we do have a tendency to agree quite a bit on almost everything. So, but I don't want to say that when I do the interview, because I don't want the interview to seem like I'm, you know, swayed, because I just want to have a really honest, sincere interview here. So, which we are going to have. You're absolutely welcome to fully endorse me anytime you'd like. (laughs) That'd be great. I mean, realistically, of the the candidates in the race, I I probably have in, in recent history, the biggest Republican reputation. Yes, that is very true. I mean, I know you as a Republican and you have very much a reputation as being a Republican. And um, and I don't think you want my endorsement because how many times does someone that I endorse win? So <laughs> that could be very dangerous. I'm not superstitious, Elaine. I, I would okay, take it. Absolutely. I would broadcast it far and wide. I, I hold okay. you in very high regard. I, I would. Uh, Thank you. I, I love to associate. And- Thank you. And you as well. Yes, it is great. We have a great friendship. So, okay. I want to start by asking you, what is wrong with you? Why are you running for the Congress? Why, what, what, what has possessed you to run for Congress? Well, I don't know that there's anything wrong with me, uh, so to speak. <laughs> so I don't know if you know, I have had a common talking point for years and years, and you and I have probably had it. I don't like it in DC. I mean, I feel it feels dark and dirty to me there. And yet for some reason, God has put in me kind of this drive to make an impact. And I, I like that you call me a Liberty dad. Cause I feel that way. And um, I, I feel a calling to be involved in this debate, uh, to be involved in this race. I don't know necessarily if God plans on me actually getting elected. However, everything's lining up for that, which is really shocking, especially because I left the Republican party two years ago and so it's shocking to me what a great chance I actually have to be elected in this particular race. So why am I doing it? I think that the status quo has to end. I think that um, right now the candidates in this race and the people in office, almost all of them, are acting like 
nothing's wrong. Like they can just continue on the way that they've always continued on and everything will be okay. But our largest budgetary expenditure right now is paying interest on the debt. That's unsustainable. That is, that's like end of times type problems. And, and they're just continuing on business as usual. I think somebody has to be willing to go in there and fight to break the status quo and actually get significant change done. Big change that seems impossible to many people, but somebody has to be willing to fight those big battles. And, and I love that kind of a battle. And, you know, some battles do take a long time, but those battles are well worth fighting for. Um, William Wilberforce spent 20 years of his career ending slavery in England. And then you have John Quincy Adams, who also spent 20 years, virtually his entire political um, candidacy was spent on the one issue of ending slavery. And people often said to him, why are you doing this? You're not getting anywhere. And he said, duty is mine. Victory is God's. Well, don't and, set those expectations I, so high. I, I don't think anybody should be in D.C. for 20 years. Um, <laughs> and I was hoping that I, I could agree. be in and out in, in, in three or four. You know, like, um, again, I don't like D.C. I, I'm absolutely willing to do it. But 20 years is a long time, and nobody should be there that long. Especially now, because it's not like we can't be replaced with other great people. And the world moves really fast today, com comparatively. It does, Yes. Okay, so I have a question. Do you live in CD2? I do. In fact, I think I actually have lived in CD2 most of my life as a result of redistricting. I was born in Moab, which I think was CD2 at the time. Um, and then I, my dad was a banker, and he was kind of the guy that would fix troubled bank branches. So uh, we moved from Moab to Monroe, which is in the district, to Richfield, which is still in the district, to Delta, which is still in the district. That was my favorite place to live in my childhood, by the way. Uh, we lived, we, he, they transferred him to Springville, which was the district, I believe, at the time. And he hated it in Springville. We lived in Spanish Fork. And so he moved to his hometown, Cedar City, and started a supply house, supply house that uh, me and my brothers now own and run, and, um, and some longtime great employees. And that's definitely in the district. So I have, and, and I did live, when you and I first met, I lived in Draper which I don't think was in the district at the time. I had a short stint in Utah County. Um, I was precinct chair of the Traverse Mountain uh, precinct with Connor Boyack as my vice chair, which was fun times. Um, and then I was in Brazil for two years on a mission. I was in Albuquerque for nine weeks at a technical training. Other than that, I've lived in the district forever. I definitely live in the district. Now I have um, I have two, well, I guess I only have one branch in the district because Ephraim is just outside the district. Um, but, yeah, so I live I live in the district. It's interesting that that's been an issue in the campaign. But realistically, yes. if anybody lives in the district and is of the district, it probably would be me. Yeah, I actually don't really think it's that big of an issue, but a lot of people really do. It's really important to them. So, and I know the people that live in Washington County really want someone from that more that area so that you are a perfect candidate for them. Yep, I'm probably the most qualified if that's their issue. Yeah, By absolutely. Couldn't, yeah, because you actually live there and have spent literally a lifetime there. Yep, I own land there, have for a long time. I, my family is there. I'm married. I have kids. The district has to support my family and um, my business is founded out of the district. It's in Cedar City and that community has been very good in supporting my family and I hope I've been good at supporting the community. Beautiful. 
Okay, so I want to know where you stand on the debt ceiling increase, because that I think is a very big issue. And as you, I know, know, all four of our congressmen all voted to increase it. And um, one of our senators did. And of course, our principal constitutional senator, Mike Lee, voted against it. Where do you stand? Well, so I already touched on how the interest on our debt is our largest expenditure. I think that's reckless. I think it's um, I think it's ridiculous, really, to be as frank as I can be. In the debt ceiling fight, when when our congressional House representatives were voting for the debt ceiling increase, actually, Mike Lee and I were together on Twitter. I mean, not we weren't collaborating, but he and I were going back and forth, feeding off each other's energy, lobbying basically to support the Freedom Caucus and their effort to actually say, okay, look, if we're going to make any movement here, it has to include an actual plan that can succeed to end the deficits and start paying off the debt because what we're doing now is unsustainable. If I, when I am elected to Congress, I will absolutely fight against continued resolutions. I will fight to actually pass a budget and I won't vote for any spending bill that doesn't have a clear plan to very quickly eliminate the deficits and rectify the reckless spending of the federal government. I would join the House Freedom Caucus as soon as they would let me. Um, I don't, I mean, as a libertarian, I don't know what their rules are. I would love to be a part of that group. I think it's absolutely a good thing to have leverage in government. It is required to get anything big done. You have to establish leverage. And that's why the House of Representatives was given the power of the purse. So they would have the leverage to shut down parts of government that were abusive of the authority that were out of their spending control. And the House absolutely should use that leverage to rein in the federal government and make it small enough to fit inside the Constitution. And Article 1, Section 8 is very clear when it has the 20 listed powers and things that Congress can spend money on and pass laws about. So Congress being, you know, and the Republicans have the power, and yet why we increase our spending is not a Democrat problem. It is a Republic and Democrat problem. It is not sure. one party. The Republicans are have gone along with this. They shouldn't be spending one dime that is not clearly delineated and listed in Article 1, Section 8. And I think much That's of it's not my power. opinion. The, 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 media, the, the media is generally controlled by wanting big government. They're, they're generally a leftist, more uh, big spending, big government, authoritarian type institution these days. And as a result, they come out with fire and brimstone against anybody who's going to stand against just continuing to let the government run away spending or run away spend. And it takes a lot of strength to stand up against big spending. And we don't have it right now it seems that that's the status quo that i'm against we need somebody that's willing to stand even if they stand alone and that's definitely me yeah that is such a good point because it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of spine to stand up and stand alone and yet when one person will it's amazing how other people will eventually get on board that's right okay it that's it really that's a really important, exactly, that's an important one. Okay, now another question that I have to ask because so many people care about it, and I do think it is a really important question, is where do you stand on continuing funding of the war in Ukraine and Russia? I'm opposed to it. I've been opposed to the money we've been spending in Ukraine. I, I'm, I think that, I, I mean, I'm opposed to foreign aid. I think that our money should be spent, I, I think that we should eliminate most of the money that the federal government spends, but it absolutely absolutely should not be spending money on foreign proxy wars, foreign wars. We should abhor war. We should defund war. 
in my opinion, we should bring home 95% of the troops that we have stationed abroad, and we should put them defending our borders instead of other people's borders. We should have them training here. It's interesting, a lot of people, when Ron Paul made similar arguments in the 2008 election, they called him an isolationist. But guess guess who the presidential candidate was that active military members, service members, were donating to the most? Ron Paul. Ron Paul got more donations from active service members, and his policy was, let's bring them home, let's defend our borders, and let's let them be closer to their family, and let's train them here. And that's a message that resonates with our servicemen. It may not resonate with the administrative military-industrial complex or even the administrative branch in the military. I am pro-soldier. I'm generally anti-war, and sometimes that means anti-military, but still pro-soldier. And the soldiers want more reasonable plans. Well, so then how do you feel about funding the military? I think that we have, I think that there is peace in strength. I think we should have strength. I think we probably spend too much on military. um, And I think part of that is because we're all over the world. Um, I think that we... um, we should fund the military. Certainly that is one of the enumerated powers that the Constitution gave the Republic, uh, gave the federal government. Um, I think we've gone too far, and I think there's a huge dark budget that pays for CIA, that pays for oversizing the classification scheme that happens in the government. I think a lot of that can be reined in, and I think there's a lot of things that can be privatized, like NASA, for example. Uh, For the most part, I think that it's not terribly useful as an organization anymore, especially when we have, uh, you know, things like um, what Elon Musk is doing and and some of the others. So I think that the military budget has gotten really bloated in a lot of really crazy angles as it's grown um, tentacles, essentially. I think we need a military. We need to fund that military well, especially the soldier who's out there put their life on the line. We should have the best healthcare benefits for them. In my opinion, that's not the VA. That's some insurance policy. Our military service men and women should have the exact same insurance policy as Congress. And I think that's a really good start for how to fund the military. Let's take care of the soldier. And then let's have technology. But I think we could, my opinion, we could probably cut defense spending in half and still have adequate strength as a deterrent against foreign powers. Okay, so how do you feel about the the wokeness in the military? How do you feel about what's happening there? I think it's absurd. Um, If there's one instance where we need masculinity to be rugged, it's the military. I mean, the military is is not the Peace Corps. Realistically, what we want military to do, if we want them to do anything, is to kill people. And it's the one thing that government does really well. They kill people really well. And you need to have that kind of based mechanism, woken based or, or opposites. I mean, those are new cultural terms. If anything in the government should be based, it should be the military. Uh, I, I reject adamantly the wokeism. I wholeheartedly reject this effort right now to promote people that are diverse and uh, woke. And I, and even more so, I reject that they're paying people um, and giving them time off to go get abortions, but they don't really have any, I mean, it's, it's worse treatment than they give for mothers who are going to give birth. They pay for and give time for people to go get abortions. And they do that with our federal money. And it is absurd. And transgender surgeries as well. 
Yep, it's absurd. I I, I completely support uh, is it Senator Tub Tub Tubmanville. I don't remember his last name. Um, I Tuberville. I don't remember. He is. I, yeah. He is blocking promotions of woke generals until they stop creating special funding for service member abortions. We've got to get behind that and really support that because what we need to remember is the military is not a social experiment. This is not designed to be, um, you know, just a social cause and let's just try it and see how it goes. This is absolutely essential to us, to our survival as a nation. And we need to have the best, the brightest. And we, we you know, as a, as a woman, I'm going to just say it. We and need the most fierce. I'm sorry. The most fierce. Absolutely. The the yeah. most fierce. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And how do you, what's your stand on a national abortion bill that would, pro, that would um, forbid abortion from every state? So I'm opposed to it, but let me tell you why, because that's going to shock some people maybe. Um, in my opinion, the Dobbs decision was precisely uh, exactly what it should be. And, and here's why. Uh, I believe that life begins at conception. Um, I think that and many people would disagree on that point because of scientific measurements. And I don't know that we have the scientific methodology right now to prove that. But by the time of what five weeks, four weeks, you can measure a heartbeat and brainwave activity. There's no, there's no scientific way of denying that that is not a human life. It has human DNA. It has brainwaves. It has a heartbeat. So sometime between conception and heartbeat and brainwave, maybe there can be an argument, but beyond brainwave and heartbeat, it's certainly a person which means killing it is murder and the federal government and the state government are required to protect life. However, here's why I don't support a federal rule for it. If abortion is wrong, which I think it is, if abortion is wrong, it's wrong because it's violence against a person. It's murder, right? If, if so, all violent crimes are regulated by and adjudicated in the state where the crime happens. So just like if you were to go out and kill your neighbor, which I'm not, you would never, if your neighbor were to kill you, let's, let's make this a little more neutral. Sorry. I don't think if your neighbor were to kill you, <laughs> the state would be responsible and have an obligation to pursue justice in that crime. Nobody would expect the federal government to do that. It is certainly state jurisdiction. And as a result, if abortion is wrong, which it is, the state is obligated to enforce justice in that crime. And if we take it to the federal level, the federal government does not have the authority for it. That's not one of the 20 enumerated powers, although they're supposed to defend life. They themselves are not supposed to adjudicate it. That is the state's authority. And the states have an obligation to do it. The challenge is many of us want to force California to stop abortions. And California wants to force us to allow abortions. And it's for that exact kind of conflict that the 10th Amendment was written that says all other powers not vested in this federal government are given or are left for the states or the people respectively. So I do not support a federal abortion um, regulation, except the federal government should not be paying for anything to do with abortion. They should not be paying for service members to get abortion. They should not be paying time off for abortions. It should not be federal money because otherwise, as a, as a citizen who should be able to vote with my money. I should be able to say, I deny this payment because you're doing something that is horribly immoral with it. And and that's the kind of the conscientious objector um, concept. And, and I would encourage that if the federal government is spending money on abortion. And um, 
And so I, I don't I do not support federal regulation of abortion. I think it is a a road towards losing that battle. Realistically, the Dobbs decision was right. It's violence. It's a state issue. And the states have an obligation to enforce it. You know, I think that we spend not enough time and energy on, we do spend a lot of energy and time on the protection of the baby, but I do think a big part of abortion is really discussing and educating on the protection of the woman, the mother, or the girl, because what we do know is abortion is not just damaging to the baby, which is very serious. It's also very damaging to the mother. And, um, I don't believe that we will ever eradicate abortion by law. I think our best way to get rid of abortion is through love and education. I think I do 100%. believe that yes. I do believe that the ultrasounds have been well, I don't just believe it. I believe it because there's so much proof that 86% of women who see the ultrasound of their baby will keep it because that now they see it is not a blob of tissue, the lie that has been handed down. They see that it is a baby. It is a life. And so we women naturally within us as humans, both men and women, but especially women, when we see that life within us, we, um, well, women that see the life within them, we want to protect that life and and we honor that. And so Absolutely. Those, I, those are two principles, education, persuasion, long suffering. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to be able to actually be free and successful in this life. Absolutely. Okay. Um, where do you stand on an Article 5 convention? I'm cool with it. I think, um, realistically, Congress is going to do whatever they're going to do every day. So um, people that say only Congress should be able to call a convention uh, for amendments to the Constitution, that, that seems really short-sighted. Uh, in my opinion, the bar is so high for state ratification that the risk is fairly low. But I believe that states should be able, now remember, I, when I say states, everybody else sees states that are part of the union, and, the, and they're thinking of them as subdivisions of the federal government, which they're not. States are sovereign in and of themselves. They're nation states. So states have the authority, in, in my opinion, and I think this would try out in the courts, states have the authority to put limitations on their delegates to a convention, and they have the authority, as any sovereign state, with diplomatic provisions, they have the authority to remove delegates if they exceed their authority. Maybe even, I mean, I've, I've seen in national arguments or national debates that happen where a diplomat goes outside the scope, allowed him by his state, uh, nation, nation state, I've seen them execute diplomats that are trying to sell out their country. It's treason. And I think that states in this union should be able to put provisions on their delegates, send them to an Article 5 convention, and they should be able to do things like balanced budget amendments or uh, term limit amendments, things like that. They should be able to do that. And states that are properly using their authority should be able to put constraints on them. And then whatever comes out of that convention, still has to be ratified by three-fourths of the state of the states and that's that's an extremely high bar and it's meant to be okay we don't i wish that i had more time on that issue we'll have to have you back here's the situation is if do you really believe that when the states call the convention which they have every constitutional right to do we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back stay with us <laughs>
Welcome back. You're listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. I'm your host, Elaine England. Thank you so much for staying with us. We are finishing up our conversation with Brad Green, who is running for CD2 on the Libertarian ticket. And so, Brad, we were talking about the Article 5 convention. Um, I just have two points in, in contrast to what you were saying. Do you believe that when the states call an Article 5 convention that the Congress is going to turn that over, that they're going to back off and let the states take charge and run it. I do not believe that. I also do not believe that we have enough states who will be sending leaders that are people we can trust and that are statesmen. So I say, even if the states were in charge, I certainly don't trust right now in this present time. And the other thing is Amendment 16 and 17. How in the world did that happen with all the states? Because there was a lot of um, gerrymandering and a lot of corruption hap- happening behind the scenes. And I think that our state, our country is far too corrupt to open up the op- opportunity to replace our constitution. So um, with that said, I want to ask you one last question. Um, where do you stand on global warming, climate change? What's your take? So I- I'm not yet convinced that humans are causing uh, climate change or global warming. However, there is clear evidence that the efforts that are being regulated into place are blocking our ability to lower emissions and actually have less impact on the environment by creating energy and sustaining the population of the planet. I think the government's making things worse. I couldn't agree with you more. And like I said, we agree on like 99% of everything. And thank you so much for being with us today. Great answers, great points. And we're really excited to see what happens here. Thank you so much for being with us. Brad Green, Liberty Dad. Thank you so much. Thank you, Delaney. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, now we have another guest. And as I told you, a great Liberty mom, Kristen Chevrier, that is the head of Your Health Freedom. Kristen is, and she is a true Liberty mom. She spends her time and energy in fighting for the the liberty of our liberty for our opportunity to choose our health and to make those decisions on our own. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, I can't hear you, Kristen. So I am going to while we're getting you connected. Um, I have some information that I really wanted to share with our guests today. I think it's just super important. 70% of Americans are on at least one prescription drug. 70% are on at least one, and half of those are on at least two or take more than two prescription drugs. And that also means that one in five patients are on five or more prescription medications. This is in the greatest country in the world. This is in a country where we really should have the best health of any country, but we do not. And um, a lot of these prescription drugs are antibiotics, antidepressants, and painkilling opioids. So these are very serious drugs. And... Um, it is something that we as Americans need to be aware of and wonder, and we really need to ask ourselves, why is this such an epidemic? Why do we have the best healthcare system in the world, and yet we have more sick people? In all of our advances, 
that we have in medicine, is it working for us? Or is it actually making us better? The leading cause of death in America is heart disease, cancer, and chronic lower respiratory diseases and stroke. We have more Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, influenza, and pneumonia. Those are the leading causes of death in America. And with this amazing system that we have, why is this so overwhelming? We have more overweight, over one third of Americans are obese. Over one third are obese and another one third are overweight. That means that over two thirds of Americans are at least overweight. And that means only one third are not overweight. In the United States in 2013, according to the World Health Organization, we're 35th out of 200 nations, we're 35th on life expectancy. We live in America and we're 35th. Is that acceptable to you? We're behind Japan, we're behind Italy, behind France, Israel, Germany, even Slovenia has a higher um, rate than we do, a higher life expectancy rate than we do in America. And you just have to ask yourself, how is this possible? Why is this, what is the cause of this? We have very serious cardiovascular disease. 84 million Americans suffer from some form of cardiovascular disease. That's according to the American Heart Association. We have 2,200 deaths every day. That's every 40 seconds someone dies from cardiovascular disease. 15 million US adults have coronary heart heart disease, 78 million have high blood pressure, and 20 million have diabetes. And I, I'll bet you everyone in our audience, I bet everyone knows somebody, at least one person that has diabetes, if not numerous people. Um, cardiovascular disease is the cause of more deaths than cancer. And um, cancer and chronic respiratory diseases and accidents combined more people die from cardiovascular disease. It's the number one killer of both men and women. And um, it, they, they figure the cost indirect and, and, not, and, and direct and indirect is $315 billion a year for these diseases. So I, I believe that our health is such a treasure. It is one of the most important things. People will spend their lifetime working for money at the expense of their health. And then when they have their money, they would give all their money to have their health back. About six months before Larry H. Miller, who I really respect, he was very wealthy and had more money than he could ever spend and more money than he ever did spend. Six months before he died, he had very serious diabetes. And I did visit with him at a, a dinner in downtown Salt Lake. And he said, I have all of this money. I can never spend it, but I would give every dime of it to have my health back. And I just think that that is so true. I think that many of us who pursue a lifestyle and, and a livelihood, which of course we definitely need, what is more precious and dear to us? Obviously our families, our loved ones, but our health is so important. We cannot really fulfill our divine mission here on earth. It's I, can't, I shouldn't say we can't do it. We can do a lot better job and do it a lot more enjoyably if we have our health because people do fulfill their divine missions without their health. But, but don't want to do it with more fun and flair and more enjoyably by having our health so much better. So we are so happy to have Liberty Mom Kristen Chevrier join us. Welcome, Kristen. Hi there. Thank you for having me on. 
so happy that you're with us today. We have some really exciting news that I would love for you to share with everybody because this is really it's a very, very wonderful annual event that you put on, and it really is so packed full of amazing, life-changing information. Tell us about your symposium and your gala that are coming up. Okay, I'm going to start out by giving the website. It's okay. yourhealthfreedom.org, yourhealthfreedom.org, not yourhealthfreedom.org. And uh, the, uh, sorry, I got distracted there for a second. <laughs> but um, the there's a discount code for your listeners. It's Liberty 20. Um, nice. So it's discount, disco, discount code Liberty 20 at yourhealthfreedom.org. Then they can get a $20 discount on the tickets for the symposium. So, okay. So we have two events that we put together and and one of them is the gala that happens on friday night october 6th and um we have a an expert panel where we discuss health issues and how health um health health policy works with legislation and um and we have a nice sit down dinner and the le legislators will be there this year, and we're giving out awards to five different legislators for health freedom legislation that they've been involved in or sponsored. And so that's going to be a great event. That's a separate evening event. And then we have the all-day symposium where we will have speakers starting at 9 o'clock in the morning, and then we'll go to 6 p.m. And you can order a lunch through the website. If you would like to order a lunch, you can bring your own lunch, whichever works for you better. But we're going to be talking about protecting the food supply, how to grow a garden, um, data privacy, which is a huge issue that's coming up in the legislative session this next session. Also, food is another issue that's, that's a hot button issue for the legislative session. We're going to be talking about mental and physical health, how to recover from either long COVID or um, effects of getting the vaccine. Um, we'll be talking about patient advocacy. One of the most important things that we learned during COVID is that patients need to have somebody advocating for them. And Delane and I have a very tragic um, experience that is a story for another day, but um, we know that patient advocacy is critical and people critical. need there with them to help them. And so that's one of the things that we're talking about. We're bringing in Priscilla Romans from Great Care, and she's an, an independent patient advocate. So she's going to help us understand some of the things that we need to know in order to advocate for our family members and, and friends, as the case may be. Um, we're also talking about, about K-12 education. We have Christina Bodges, um, or Bogus? Is it Bogus? Bogus. Bogus. Christina Bogus. Um, who she's is on the state school board? Yeah, she's on the Utah State School Board, and she is amazing. She's a fireball, and she's going to be talking not only about how to navigate the schools, but but reasons that maybe you might want to consider getting out of the schools and doing something different, um, and what some of those things are, and. 
overall, what we're trying to do is to help people feel confident moving into an uncertain future. Because there's a lot of stuff swirling around us day in and day out. And, and we, we can see a little um, bit of a, a repeat looming on the horizon with the, the mandates and the COVID stuff. There are some places that are starting to, to mandate masks again and, and that sort of thing. And there are things that we can and must do in order to protect ourselves and to move forward with confidence and faith and, and be able to create a brighter future. So that's the purpose of the symposium. We just want to empower people to be able to navigate what's happening right now. We have Pierre Corey from the FLCCC. We have Mickey Willis, who is um, a produ- film producer. He's done all of the Plandemic movies. He's also got one that he's just releasing called uh, Follow the Silence a little play on follow the science, but, um, but it's addressing the plight of those who are injured by the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, well, vaccines, plural, the COVID vaccines. So um, he's in another, another force to be reckoned with. And um, all of these people, Jared St. Clair, Robert Scott Bell, Caleb Warnock, master gardener is going to be talking about the gardening stuff. Um, and then we have a special treat. We have the wife of one of our, well, our youngest legislator is coming. Um, Leah Davis Clancy is coming to teach us about breathing and how breathing affects health. So that's another. Fun Boy, that thing. is so true. I am way, I am such an advocate of that. I do that. I've been doing that for 30 years at deep breathing because oxygen is so healing and on cancer cannot live with oxygen in the presence of oxygen so i am really excited about that i didn't know you were having her but that deep oxygenation is very powerful it really is it's amazing did for her portion i that's going to be really interesting and helpful for everyone i think so we we have a lot of other people coming uh trisha lindsay she's a new york civil rights attorney and she's got experience in nursing education in law she's an attorney in new york city right now and she is she went from the education system into being an attorney because she saw that a lot of people needed a strong advocate in New York, as I mean, we all know what's happened in New York recently over the COVID stuff and and measles and a lot of other things. And so she is just an amazing woman. And anybody who listens to her is just going to be so excited they came, even if she were the only speaker, because she's very dynamic and knowledgeable. That's so wonderful. we all Ass, who is a medical doctor who just barely lost her medical license because um, she's been accused of not telling the truth about the COVID stuff because, because she, she did tell the truth do other treatments instead of getting the vaccine. So, well, how dare she? How dare she tell the truth? Yeah. How dare any of us that's, tell the truth? That's very dangerous. Anyway, so that's that's the short overview. Again, if you want to get $20 off your ticket, the code is LIBERTY20 when you go to yourhealthfreedom.org and hit the purchase ticket. 
button. And there's more information about each of the speakers on there and about the events themselves. Just FYI, we don't like to have babies or children at the gala. If you're bringing babies to the symposium, um, we, we only want nursing babes in arms. Otherwise, please get a babysitter because it's hard to listen and it's hard to record. And there's so much valuable information that, that people are paying to come here. So um, we want you to all come. And if you need help finding a babysitter, let me know because I'm happy to to help with that. We also have uh, volunteer opportunities for those who feel like they can't afford a ticket at all. So if you volunteer for a four-hour shift, you get a half-price ticket. If you volunteer for two shifts out of the three-shift day, um, then you get a free ticket. So if you're interested in that, you can email info, I-N-F-O, at yourhealthfreedom.org and just let us know that you'd like to volunteer and we'll send you the information. That's great. That is such a great option. And you do record it as well. So people we, will have access to it after it's over because I find that extremely valuable because you're being taught through a firehouse. There's so much amazing information. And so often you're like, oh, I didn't get that and you want to go back and hear it again and be able to really reconsume it so that's so valuable yeah so i'm super excited about this i appreciate you having me on to talk about it i hope that everybody will take advantage of the opportunity because it's not often that you get all of these great minds in one room and get a chance to actually rub shoulders with them and interact with other people who feel the same way you do i think the in-person aspect of this is really, really good. It's you know very- what, Kristen, you're so right, because there's something so cathartic about being together with other like-minded people, and the connection is so important, because none of us know everything, and it's so nice to kind of know who's who you can go to for a resource, or who you can, you know, share experiences with, or, or go and say, hey, I need some help with this, and who is like-minded. It really, we really do need each other we're here for each other and that is that is one of my favorite parts so even though your speakers are absolutely fabulous and i love that but it is fun to be in person together there is something very magical about it what about lunch just so people know the money that that is spent on the tickets and on the gala this is our fundraiser we do one fundraiser annually and we use that money to fly out the speakers we pay for hotels we pay for food and transportation we pay for uh, billboards, and um, we educate legislators, printing flyers, and all of that kind of stuff. None of us get paid. We're all volunteer. So it, when you're buying the ticket, just know that that money is going to support the cause of health freedom and freedom in general. Because if we defend health freedom, then that gets a big foot in the door for other freedoms. You know, that is one of the most important things that you have even said. I, I so agree with you 100%. It is so, so important to understand how important our freedoms are. And if you don't have health freedom, you don't have freedom. I mean, you really don't. If you can't make your decisions on your own health, um, how can you be free? I want, I'd like to share this quote by Dr. Benjamin Rush. He was a signer and a founding father, and he was the premier medical doctor. He actually taught 3,000 doctors 
um, medical school and help them to get licensed. And this is what he said. Unless we put medical freedom into the Constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize into an underground dictatorship to restrict the art of healing to one class of men and deny equal privileges to others will constitute the bestial of medical science. All such laws are un-American and despotic and have no place in a republic. The constitution of this republic should make special privilege for medical freedom as well as religious freedom. And I say medical freedom is religious freedom. Religious freedom is encapsulates medical freedom because those are part of your decisions that you make from that are your conscience and your your religious belief. But that tells you how strongly he felt about people in America and how in a republic we should be able to make all those decisions for ourselves. I just love that quote. It's probably not an exact quote. In all fairness, it's um, not worded exactly how he worded it. It's been kind of reworded a little bit to make it more understandable in our day, but that is the essence of what he said. That is the intent. And he had and, no idea what we were going to be up against. Yeah, it, he he's very wise. And I just want to make sure everyone knows it's um the Your Health Freedom Symposium is is and and convention is October seventh and eighth, sixth and seventh, sixth and seventh. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah I knew it was like yeah. the seventh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So October sixth and seventh. So the the gala is the sixth and the symposium is the seventh. So get that yeah. on your calendars and get your tickets. And that is something very exciting to look forward to. Kristen, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. And I would like to personally thank Kristen publicly for all the hard work she does. She does not make a dime and she works very hard, not just on this. She works all year round. She's up at the Capitol working, helping to get bills passed that will protect your freedoms and that she is fulfilling her divine mission here. So I want to say kudos to you and thank you so much for all that you do. It's quite amazing. Delaine. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Right. Well, speaking of freedom, I just want to remind everybody that Freedom's Light Festival is coming up September 14th, 15th, and 16th. You do not have to buy tickets. You do not have to register. If you have a large group, then you can. And you can go on our website, freedomslight.us freedomslight.us and you can register a group or your school or your co-op or anything like that or if you're a family or even you know even a large group you can just show up the hours are on there we would love to have you it is a, a great opportunity to get to learn about the constitution through activities and also meet the founding fathers and founding mothers and hear their stories of their not just their successes but their failures as well um, and also want to remind you that Timothy Barton will be speaking at Juan Diego High School in Draper on September 6th. And you are invited. The tickets are free, but you must have a ticket. And so you need to go on to freedomslight.us and you can get your tickets there. You can just click the link and get your tickets there. And then also want to invite you to the, on September 17th, on Constitution Day, on the Sabbath, to David Barton, who will be speaking. And you can get tickets there as well on Freedom Site. And um, that will be in Layton. And he is, if you don't know David Barton, it's time you do. He is the really the most American 
um, um, he is, he knows more, he, he's a historian and he owns more artifacts than anyone short the, um, the museums, the Library of Congress and probably the, the, um, the National Museums, but he has so many American artifacts and he is the premier historian of America and knows because he has the documents, he can look and see what they said and what their intent was. So we invite you all to attend. That is September 17th, 7 p.m. Leighton Christian Academy. So I just thank you so much for being with us and joining us today. And I want to remind all of you that you are the guardians of your liberty. Have a beautiful day.